SOS Podcast here. I'm ben Fields, this is my podcast. Welcome in. Hope everybody's well out there. Is Brood 10, Brood X subsiding? The cicadas? I don't hear them anymore. They're a little lower. I've got Justin Cipriani on the show today. Justin Cipriani is a DP, director of photography. And uh, he has lensed some really beautiful commercial work over the years. And he shot a ton of music festival stuff uh, for the likes of uh, Bonnaroo, uh, Forecastle, that AC Entertainment kind of stuff, and and many others along the way. He's a talented dude, and he is uh, truly on a conquest to master his craft. And from the looks of things, he's, he's pretty well on his way. His stuff looks awesome. Uh, I enjoyed talking to him. We had a great chat. Let's get into it. Here's my chat with Justin Cipriani. We're doing the pop cast. I wonder about being uh, being tall and riding on airplanes. It's not tough? fun. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Even in one of the aisle seats or something. This feels like the start to like a stand-up comedian thing, like being tall on an airplane. It's like the airplane food joke. And what is it with well, airplane food anyway? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean exit rows are the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think that's for everyone. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, dude, thanks for doing it. Thanks yeah, for man. being here. Yeah, dude. I appreciate it a lot. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Last time I saw you, uh, you were talking about moving to Atlanta. Did, did I that, did. You did that? <laughs> yeah, I did that thing. You're there now. Yeah. I live in Atlanta, but I'm not there right now. How's that going? Uh, it's good. I like it a lot. Uh, I think I'm going to spend more days not in Atlanta this year than in Atlanta. Really? Um, just, just work. Yeah. Just because all your connections are elsewhere? Yeah, for the most part, but then even jobs in Atlanta, um, been traveling a lot too for that. So, really? And then I've been also getting jobs in Knoxville that travel to different states. So, I mean, it's just, it's just like, I just can't seem to stay home. Well, at least you're close to a big airport where you only have to fly somewhere once, you know, they fly everywhere, you know, you don't have to lay over. Yeah, exactly. That was honestly one of the bigger selling points to the city. Cause like, I'm a big believer in that you can work anywhere mm-hmm. and like, what better place to set up a home base with a place with like an incredible airport. So the, bu- the busiest one in America. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> or no, the world, I think 190,000 travelers a day or something like that. Could be. I don't the know. second <laughs> one is India. I think. Really? Yeah. Atlanta's nuts. It's so That's busy. Weird. I know it is plane train, baby. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, when I was in Knoxville, I would always just drive to Atlanta to fly. So fly. now, now, now things are a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Or fly through Atlanta. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, yeah. Do you want to spend more and fly to Atlanta and then fly out of Atlanta? Yeah. Or do you want to drive to Atlanta and fly out of Atlanta? How's the business down there? I know that it's been hot for a while. Yeah. Still um, hot? I hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> TV shows and all that, though. Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff yep. was there and kind of sprung up a big industry. Yep, Tyler yep. Perry's got a place at Lakewood, right? Yeah. Walking Dead's always going. Um, I feel like they'll be shooting that show forever. So Cobra Kai was shot down Cobra there. Cobra Kai's down there. Ozark's down there. Um, I have like, um, I joined the union when I moved there too. And I got like a big email thread of like every production in town. So like I have a huge list of all the movies and oh, shows yeah. being shot in town. That's awesome. So. Is that the 600? Yeah. That's so. a camera union, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How's so. union life? Is that cool? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the deal? You still get to work on non-union gigs. You just have to disclose it to the union. Is that how it works? Or do you have to yeah. be sneaky about it? Yeah. I mean, no, you don't have to be sneaky. I feel like you're asking the wrong person about all that. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'm just in it. I don't really. I just work with a bunch of like <laughs> assistant directors and things like that who are like, oh, yeah, you can't put me as an AD on the call sheet or, or this needs to be a union gig. Like I have to be an associate producer. 
Yeah, some people, I don't know. It depends. Some people take it really serious and some people don't, I think. Um, I think it's cool what unions do. I'm all for what they stand for. Like, people yeah. should, like, you know, have a cool working environment and, like, yeah, you know. Get paid a fair wage, not not be, you know, treated poorly, worked, uh, worked too long of hours. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, especially in our industry, it's like. I mean, people it's, get taken advantage of all the time. It's miserable. Like, it, it's not an industry that's known for caring for your feelings. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I, I like what they uh, stand for, but the implementation maybe not is not so much always there. I was I was on a show that got picketed one time. It was oh, a, really? a non-union gig, and uh, New York heard yeah. about it and sent the sent the union <laughs> reps down, and they nice. picketed. And, and we were a mixed crew, of course, because Tennessee is a right to work state where you can mix mm-hmm. union and non-union crews. So, you know, half our crew was in the union. The other half was not in the union. And uh, the guys who were in the union could not cross the picket line and work. Mm-hmm. And so the shoot was dead in the water unless it flipped union. Yep. Which it didn't do. And we all went home and nobody got paid. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a part of one of those, but I haven't gotten the opportunity. It wasn't that cool because I didn't get paid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah i don't know uh that's an easy way to get into the union though I it guess. is yeah uh, if a show flips mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I've, I've had a buddy i've got an editor buddy in la who was working on a non-union gig and that's how he got in yeah is it is that's the, the way sh- to do it that's the easier way to do it yeah um, how'd I, you do it what did you have to do <laughs> to get in i couldn't tell you uh yeah, made a happened. bunch of phone calls over months and months and got on some union uh, gigs in atlanta or here uh-huh, in atlanta yeah okay. there's not really anything that happens here yeah so it happened pretty quick then huh after yeah. you got down there? Because you've only been well, down there a year or so, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole process from start to finish of joining the union was like four or five months. Yeah. Um, but most of that was just they don't return calls or <laughs> care or <laughs> any of those things. So it's like, Yeah. The, there's a joke in there somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure there is. Yeah. I don't. I feel like I'm going to like say a bunch of things and then all of a sudden I'm going to get in trouble with the union nah, just from the yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you're great on set, but that podcast, we yeah, just, you can't, you can't, can't do that. that. <laughs> like, yeah. So... TV show work down there, though? Yeah, TV show work down there. Um, I have yet to be on any TV shows. I've done two features this year, which has been nice, but neither of them were in Atlanta. Um, mm. I actually did one in Knoxville. Sam was on it. Well, Sammy Pooh. Yeah. Um, and then I did one in Savannah that I key gripped. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Well, I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I mean... I, I don't know why they called me to key grab, but did you operate a camera? <laughs> no, I yeah. operated a camera on the one I did with Sam. Okay, um, so I operated a camera on that film, and then the other one I key grip for. Okay, and um, it was good. Have you DP'd some stuff in Atlanta? Uh, not in Atlanta yet. No, yeah. Still, so still just, your old, still your old book of business calling you to DP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So all my DP work so far has been Knoxville. Still. Um, Atlanta's pretty much just been AC work. Cool. Pretty much well, exclusively. Your, your stuff looks good that you DP. I can Thanks, say that. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I've seen a bunch of it over the years. Look <laughs> at the Addies and stuff. I'm yeah. like, oh, that looks good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I hate that I didn't shoot that. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So where are you from, Knoxville? Uh, more or less. Yeah. Really? I mean, um, I moved quite a bit. Um, so I went to high school in two places, one in Jefferson County, which was my freshman and sophomore year, which yeah. is, you know, right outside Knoxville. The Patriots. Yep. You got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, uh, Saudi Daisy, uh, which went to high school with Matt Honkinen. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Well, 
technically, I went to school with his brother. I think he's... He was done by the time you got there? I believe so. I can't remember how old he is. He was but, in college. Um, he's yeah. old, man. Yeah, he's, he's I mean, at least ancient. 60. Yeah. Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm young. I'm like 18. You know? <laughs> he was our first guest on the show. Was he? Yeah. Had to, man. Had to do it. So, But where'd you grow up, grow up? In, Je- in Jefferson City? Like, yeah, for the most part. Like just born? different parts of Tennessee. We moved a lot in yeah. between that, too. Was your dad so. a military guy or business dude or what? No. Um, he worked in like nuclear engineering. He just hopped mm. around jobs a lot. So, um, gotcha. But did, 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 uh, ORNL ever come into play for your dad? Oak Ridge National Labs working over there? <laughs> he, he had his hands in just about everything. I feel yeah. like, uh, TVA was what brought us to Chattanooga pretty mm. much. But, um, yeah, spent just different times in different places. So, yeah. Um, mostly Tennessee though. I was okay. born in Florida, but I only spent like a year there. So I don't know anything about here. it. Yeah. <laughs> So your first memories are from Tennessee. Yeah, correct. Okay, cool. What mm-hmm. mom do? Uh, stay at home mom. Uh, oh, she cool. teaches now though. Oh, nice. Um, so once we got old enough, she went back to school and just got her teaching degree and um, been doing that ever since. Sweet. Brothers and sisters? I have one brother. Um, okay. He he also lives in Chattanooga now. Um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's the whole fam- What were you into in high school? Jefferson City High School. Jefferson City High School. Um, were you into sports? Did you do the arts thing? Were you musical theater? Were you? <laughs> I was more of a sports kid. Yeah. Growing up, yeah, I played a lot of soccer. Um, soccer was my jam. Played it a whole bunch, and then went to college and quit. <laughs> quit playing soccer and never played it again. There's not a lot of opportunity in soccer. I don't feel like for uh, as much as there is in baseball I'm, and basketball and those other sports where you can go make a billion dollars a year oh know, for sure 100 percent doing it but soccer's still the best sport but it's, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's the world sport right yeah it's, yeah, it's the it's the one that everybody knows and loves we have a, a, a soccer team a pro soccer team coming to knoxville i heard that i heard that like two days ago yeah something. sounds pretty cool yeah uh that's what atlanta's i love that we have uh united you know we have a team so dude i've got a cool. buddy who lives in atlanta or in uh alabama who has season tickets to the Atlanta United games and goes over for all of them. Like it's it's so huge. Soccer's so huge. People love it. It's crazy. And Atlanta United is also one of the like craziest fan bases. Dude, it's and unreal. it's a newer team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, only a few years and old. You can't drive a block without seeing a flag or something. Yeah, and they and they're playing at the Mercedes Benz Stadium mm-hmm. where the Falcons play. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's so killer. That place is so awesome. Super yeah, sweet. Uh, so where'd you go to college? UT. UT? Yeah. Did you so. study film and or the journalism major they have yeah, over we're there? All, we're all journalism majors. All yeah. <laughs> like... Well, at some point you have to decide you don't want to be a news anchor. Yeah. And you do want to be a, a film person, right? Yeah. Well, I did the thing where it's like, I mean, I knew in high school, this is what I wanted to do was um, do film. And like, but then at the same time, you know, my parents were good that they pushed me to go to college and, you know, pursue all that. And, um, but college isn't really the place to become a filmmaker, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so went to UT and I just I went in undecided and journalism electronic media just had the most video classes. Right. So that's literally the only reason I picked it. I have no interest in journalism. Like, so you already knew what you wanted to do. Yeah, one hundred percent. When did that start? Um probably high school. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like when I was like sixteen years old, I was like that's when I started like picking up on video stuff. I bought a um, what is the a camera? mini DV camcorder? Mini DV camcorder, yeah, a tape camcorder. That's yeah. when we were 
<laughs> you had to edit footage, you had to upload the whole tape and watch yeah. it all play through. <laughs> yeah, you could watch it in real time. And I was editing on Adobe even then. Really? Um, yeah. So that was Adobe. And then ever since I'd told everyone we should use Adobe, we should use Adobe. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. Got in the ecosystem and yeah. decided to go for it. What kind of stuff were you shooting when you when you were 16? <laughs> nothing good <laughs> really yeah. so like when i got into filming stuff it was wakeboarding and um, i wanted to make cool wakeboarding films yeah. and that's like what got a camera in my hand and some people you know it's extreme sports skateboarding yeah. and other things like that that get people in there or they want to shoot a class play or something that makes like sense do yeah. narrative stuff but yeah action it, sports is big i feel like so many people in a video with like action sport things and like different state like snowboarding and gopros and all that stuff it's yeah. like that's how a lot of people get in. I mean, I was shooting dumb videos with my friends, like comedy videos. Really? Just like just stupid stuff, fart jokes, you know, things like yeah. that. <laughs> were, you, were you an acting kid or anything like that? No, I hate being in front of camera. Really? Yeah, this is miserable. So you just wanted to film? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you just wanted to film your friends doing outrageous stuff and editing it together and putting it out there? and Pretty much, yeah. And then I have outrageous friends, so it worked out. <laughs> is that still the case? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I have crazy friends and I'd point the camera at them. Oh. <laughs> so the uh, the major at UT, you go through that and then did you have trouble finding work when you got out or did you kind of you, you figure it out pretty quick on how to how to start working? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wish I could say I had trouble, but no, everything fell in my lap on a silver platter. Because <laughs> you knew your stuff? No, no, not at all. <laughs> no. It's just good luck. Right place, right time. You're so willing I, to work for free, I bet. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> still willing to work for free. We always are. <laughs> uh, but If the project's right. If the project's right. I mean, I've worked for free this year. I mean, Have you? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Never changes. You always want to do stuff. Um, but no, I uh, there's like a section where you have to do like an internship or whatever um, to get credit or whatever for mm. your class and um a lot of people were setting up internships they all had the hgtv internships sure. and all that stuff and yeah. I, I was, news stations and all that too, yeah I'm sure. and i waited too long to reach out to anyone and i was super jealous of everyone who had like the hgtv i'm like oh they got hgtv i was like i should reach out to them like you're way too late like we've already signed up like half of your class and, like, yeah i was like we can't do anything for you, you. slacker and, yeah pretty much yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then um the uh professor assigned me to an internship which was with lock and key who had just started a business i think that year um or like six months earlier or a year earlier or something yeah. like that and they were doing ice bears broadcasts at the time oh um, yeah yeah so i guess action sports maybe is the start of my career but uh, yeah, it might have been. yeah yeah andy uh, andy that was over here Andy fail you. Yep. Uh, he, he was talking about the, their first paying gigs being ice bears broadcast. Yep. yep. Ice bears. Yeah. And that's, that's when I awesome. met him. Uh, and then, uh, showed up to an ice bears game, uh, Andy and Eli and, uh, Sean Mantooth at the time, they were all there shooting all that stuff and, uh, ran live cams and stuff. And then I think at the time I was shooting more, um, just in between segments, like, cause I did, I feel like I did the live cam like a few times, but then I had my own camera and stuff at the time, DSLR. So mm -hmm. like Canon, t2i t3i or something yeah. like that and um i want to say i ran around with that for a while just shooting like different spots of you know kids having fun behind the scenes or whatever yeah. i'd spent a few the games. lifestyle portion yeah exactly <laughs> and i've spent a few games on the bench which is uh hilarious I bet uh, those if, guys if you've are... never been on a hockey bench it's a very 
strange experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it being like a bunch of sailors, you know, they, stuck in a box together. Dude, sailors is actually the best way to put it. I've actually never thought about that. <laughs> They're really into the, um, I don't know what it is, like the thing that you sniff and then uh, you get really jacked up. Or, oh, the, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't know the, what's called. It's uh, it's called uh, the Hollywood breakfast. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not that kind of sniffing. It's like these little packets that, oh. you know, like, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh the uh, snuff? <sighs> Sn- it's tobacco, right? No, I don't think so it's smelling uh, salt it just smells really strong and you like their little packets and they shake them up and then you sniff it and it gets your, your adrenaline going I, guess, I don't know what it does i don't <laughs> it's not drugs it's like, it's not a drug no, it just, I don't it, think so. no 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 <laughs> I, I, I feel I, like i'm crazy <laughs> I, I know uh, the the smelling salts that you used to see like in movies when people would pass out it was like what they got you to like yeah maybe couple, it's that yeah smelling salts i guess yeah you it just it. smells so yeah, bad i don't know that it just it's, like wakes up everything in your brain you're like yeah ah, i'm alive shows how much i know i don't know God, they, they, we got to research this it's, tonight yeah i know i we're need to look this it. up so we're gonna edit yeah. in the part where i've like looked it up and i'm like really knowledgeable about it Next <laughs> and like wow you know. he knows so much about this yeah. we're both um, addicted to smelling salts by yeah. the end of the by the end of the episode. no it smells so strong so are the they on the bench just like shaking that stuff up and smelling it and get yeah, getting pumped up, up going just, out there and hitting each other fighting running each other. Over each other yeah they uh hockey players love to fight each other it's crazy i don't know have you ever seen the uh what's the hbo series of like the hockey players where uh-uh. it's like the inside thing there's like a funny segment in that they're like mic'd up hockey players i'm gonna ruin this reference i feel like but i feel like there's a moment where like guys like hey man you want to drop gloves or something and then he's like yeah sure man and they just like start fighting <laughs> it's just like it's just like so casual yeah and they're friends and, yeah, yeah. it just like seems like it and yeah. it's like i feel like that's all hockey players i actually um one of those so there's i don't know much about hockey again any would have been a good person to talk to you about this because he loves man, hockey but missed our opportunity yeah i know man. maybe he'll come back yeah one day. i don't know anything about hockey but <laughs> i learned a little bit from the ice bears i guess but i guess there's a person on the team that's uh the enforcer and his, oh, yeah. his job is basically to fight people essentially they get out of line <laughs> yeah just yeah. to protect the people who are actually good at playing hockey right yeah but, and that guy can barely skate yeah exactly but he can fight <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, but yeah i ran into him one time at the uh a bar called the well that used to exist no longer exists and I remember um, that place yeah it was a great place gina's a cool person yeah i love gina um but i ran into him there and uh i've always been terrified of this man and uh <laughs> he recognized me which i was like oh no i, 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 don't, I, don't I stepped on his foot one time. <laughs> like, yeah it's like oh man i'm the guy who's always in the way like on his bench because like you know they're trying to get it out and yeah. it's really tight in there and i'm yeah. like they probably hate me so and then he came up to me and I'm like, oh man, I'm really nervous. He's like, hey man, I'm gonna buy you a drink or whatever. And I was like, what? And I was like, yeah, man, sure. And he's like, and then it was like the sweetest thing. He's like, my mom doesn't get to watch my games, and because of you guys, like, she gets to watch my games, and I just appreciate you guys so much. That is amazing. <laughs> and I was just like, man, I'm so scared of you, but that's like the sweetest thing. God, he was uh, hopped up on those smelling salts out there, <laughs> yeah. telling everybody how much he loved them. Yeah, and then I was. He was like, what you want or whatever. And I was like, I don't know, something clear probably or something. And then he was, he was like, oh, I can't do that. I would fight everyone in here if I do that. I'm like, oh, back to being scared. Like, <laughs> whatever you want, man. <laughs> I heard those guys all live together in a dorm somewhere. Is that right? Do you know? I that? believe it. I, yeah. I don't know. Because yeah. minor league hockey, it's not It's not like you're an NHL guy. And those people don't do it for money. No, <laughs> they don't. That. No, well, no. And not many of them ever even play in the in, in the NHL. For the, sure. the the people who are doing the Ice Bears League, mm-hmm. um, I've got a guy Ian Lapierre that works with us. You know, yeah, you know, Ian. I'm working with him on Monday. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Ian uh, Ian knows everything about hockey. Does he? <laughs> everything about. <laughs> I hockey. I love that. Like this whole podcast will be about hockey, and I like know nothing about hockey. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, 
But but he was telling me that there's only been like a couple people that have ever played in the league that the Ice Bears play in that have made it to the NHL. I believe it. Yeah. It's I mean, tough. Yeah. They're like a bunch of linebackers out there yeah. on skates. <laughs> a bunch of linebackers running four fours. It's brilliant. I believe it. Yeah. How long did you do the Ice Bears thing? Oh, I don't know. A couple years? I want to say a couple years, yeah. And did it turn into a job with lock and key? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, the, I guess, yeah. The, why we brought it up, I guess, was like, did you have a hard time finding work? And no, because I was still in college, and then I met them. And um, at the time, I mean, I was, I've only really had one other job my whole life that wasn't video, and I stocked shelves at Walmart overnight for <laughs> like one summer. Oh, <laughs> man, I had an uncle who did that for like 10 years. It's kind of fun. Was it? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Was it a 24-hour Walmart? Yeah, I did the night shift, so okay. which I think I wouldn't like it in the day shift. The night shift, no one talks to you, so you just, just put things on shelves. Were you in high school? Uh, I would have been in college. That was my freshman year of college. Okay. So. Here in Knoxville? Uh, no, that would have been in Saudi Daisy. Saudi Daisy Walmart. Uh, stock shelves every night for one summer. For a summer. And then uh, like a year later, yeah, I got the internship with Lock and Key. They just started their business and... I, I was already shooting some videos in college, like little things, you know, just, you know, hundred bucks there or whatever, yeah. like just trying to do things. And, um, was, was, I just knew it was what I want to do. I owned a camera and stuff. And then, um, I want to say shot a bunch of artist things at rhythm and blooms or yeah, I want to say it was rhythm and blooms. I can't remember something with that China put yeah. on at the time. I can't remember what the form factor was, but, yeah. um, and, I worked at the radio station, um, uh, 90.3, with uh, yeah. Benny Smith. Yeah. Did you have Benny Smith on, right? I did have Benny Smith yeah. on, yeah. So I worked at the radio station with him, and um, I was the the hip-hop director at the time. And, oh, nice. Uh, I did a hip-hop show with one of my best friends, Andy Vinson, also works mm-hmm. at Lock & Key. Yeah. Uh, you guys should have him on. <laughs> he's Definitely. a good person to have on. <laughs> he's coming up. He doesn't know it yet, but he's coming. He should have been here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> he should have replaced me. I like how you brought me on. It's like, I'm going to find the most boring person at Lock and Key. And I'm gonna Not true. <laughs> if you were a gaffer, you would have replaced yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. Where is I going with that? Uh, UT doing the... the oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're at the radio station. Radio and station. Um, me and... I, I wanted to shoot, you know, a video series of, like, live artists performing music or whatever. Yeah. And uh, Andy Vinson being the... Uh, talker that he is he had set up a little session um through china and we shot like a whole bunch of artists at the time i can't remember who i was i feel like we shot cruz Contreras, and we shot um josh oliver's i think his name i don't know a bunch of people were they live performances or yeah we did profiles? live performances so basically it was a thing and then we tied it in with the radio station where we were oh, just cool. shooting live performances and just like you know following them on camera recording it live and i had Loved them and stuff for, and then mic guitars and mm. whatnot. So, I mean, even then I was miking things and shooting things. And, really? Um, yeah. And that's, that's interesting because I see you as such a, like a camera purist and like a DP type that I I, I wouldn't have expected. Purist. Well, I mean, I see you as like this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My heart. I, I, I see you as, as a dude who is so uh, tuned in to how things look and all that, that I, that I thought that you would have not gotten into the you know mic and people up world and and the one man band swiss army knife kind of thing that yeah. you see a lot now yeah that you didn't see 10 years ago when you started for sure where you had a thing that you did yeah and you did that and somebody else did the audio for some, sure but you it I seemed mean, like you were an early adopter of, i mean i'll say i'm a dp at heart i mean that's like i feel fits what i do the best but even then though like as a dp i consider myself i mean 
I try to be a lighting DP. I mean, that's all I think about is lights nonstop really? all the time. Lights 100%. I mean, you can ask my girlfriend, all I do is talk about lighting. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, did you look at that? And like, what color temp's that? And you know, how soft is that? Oh, if they put this in front of this and did this. Every time I walk in the room, I think about how I would light it. So movies are definitely ruined for you. You're not, are you following the story? Actually, no, I'm actually really? pretty good at like turning it off. I mean. I am too. It, yeah. I it, mean, t- it, it took a little while. Really? Yeah, yeah. It took a little while to, to not be critical not not in a bad way but to not continue to try to learn from what i was seeing yeah 100%. and trying to approach it from a craft side and 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 not suspend my disbelief long enough to actually yeah. get engaged in a story yeah for sure i mean my philosophy is you know if you're thinking about that stuff during a movie it's not a good movie i mean yeah but we just... are kind of cursed because that's our vocation and that's what we're you know that's for sure that's what we're what we're doing so it's even harder for us i think to turn that off and so if you can you know you're watching something really good yeah i mean i think when I was younger, I like used to think <laughs> it's so stupid. It's just like if I just don't watch a bunch of stuff, then it's like whatever I make will be mine. It'll be like original. I don't want to copy whatever someone else is doing. It has to be completely unique from whatever is out there. And then when you watch stuff, you like copy it accidentally and like do all these things. It's like mm-hmm. I don't want to be influenced by that. I want to make my own stuff. But then like as you get older, you start to realize it's like, oh, no, like it's important to take from all of these things. And like, sure. that's what makes something good. It's like, I want to take a little bit of this and a little bit yeah. of that and a little bit of this. And then by doing that, you become something unique, but yeah. it's important to like soak all that in and, you know, um, learn from all of those things. So, but for the most part, I try not to, when I'm, when I'm watching movies for fun. Yeah. I don't think about it at all, but for work, sometimes I'll pull up, you know, I pull up screen grabs and stuff before projects and like, I want it to look like this, 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 and this. Of your stuff or of other stuff? Other people's stuff. Yeah. Okay. I wish I could pull up my stuff. Yeah. (laughs) You can dude. Other people are pulling up your stuff. I promise (laughs) you. That's fair. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's interesting. So, uh, with being a lot, a lighting DP, the other thing would be being a camera DP. I guess. I don't know. I just stuck on like camera. I don't know. Cameras is like the, I feel like cameras are the easiest part of the whole process honestly you mean technically or like kind of cameras framing a shot kind of framing is so intuitive like it's just like anyone can frame a shot i feel like i don't know and cameras are all the same like once you use a couple it's like okay this button's over here now instead of right here Mm -hmm. like once you once you learn like a certain amount about cameras like they're also similar um it just but lighting a space like every space can be different sometimes and it's like you know how you approach that it's just so much more interesting to me and the other thing too it's like uh, you could leave the camera totally still. You don't need to move the camera. Mm. And, and if if your lighting's on point, everything will be incredible. I mean, sure. you don't need to move the camera. I'm also a big believer in, like, don't move the camera if it doesn't make sense. Like, Me too. I believe that 100%. And it gives the other part of this, which is <laughs> we always forget how important this is, the performance. Mm-hmm. It gives that a, a space to live. Yeah, that's that's not taking anything away from that. One hundred percent. You don't want to take away. I mean, you can add if you can add to it. Yeah, then, then great with your camera work. Yeah, uh, but I agree. Like it, less is more, and subtlety is good for you know giving actors, especially good actors, a space to live and sure. to and to play. And when you're and when you're working with non actors, which. <clears throat> I've done a lot of in the past. I don't know if you have or not, but when you're working mm-hmm. with people who aren't used to being on camera, yeah. that's a great place to start having some fun with your camera moves yeah. because then <laughs> yeah. you can string an edit together, sure. you know, and, and have some fun with, especially if it's not narrative stuff, mm-hmm. you know, if it, it, if it's, you know, some, some kind of lifestyle, uh, a cut to music or something like that, For sure. you know, it's great to, to have some fun with, yeah. with, with camera work. But I, but I honestly believe that, you know, our job, 
especially in narrative work is to, is to give, give a performance a space to live and, and be, and look and feel, uh, in a way that serves the, the story. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer in the sort of the Deacon school of thought of like, you shouldn't see my job. Like I should be invisible to the viewer. Like, sure. um, I'm just there to service the story basically. Yeah. Um, which, but then the difficulty becomes like when you're making commercials, like what is the story sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Sometimes it relies on your work. Sometimes yeah. they rely on cinematography too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of the shots play so quickly yeah. that that's what's carrying the story. For sure. I mean, camera work and lighting and feel and vibe. Yeah. A lot of the stories, I mean, that doesn't play any role in it and you still have to make it look good, but, but then, yeah, at the same times, you know, like Deacon shoots, what, 1917. And it's like that whole thing's camera movement. Yeah. But it's, you know, like three shots, right? Yeah. Or something like, like his that. philosophy is like, you shouldn't see my work, but then he goes and shoots <laughs> something like that. It's like, I can't help but look at your work. <laughs> He's got a podcast, doesn't he? Yeah, it's great. What's it called? Uh, I don't know what it's called. Deacon's Podcast or something. Yeah. I think it's pretty simple. Roger Deacon's and his wife or something like that or mm-hmm. his son? Yeah, his wife, James. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. I highly recommend it to anyone in the industry, for sure. Yeah. What about people out of the industry? Would they get anything from it or is it too too techy talky? Probably arty? not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To be honest. But he's kind of the industry standard, Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the one that that I've not heard anybody I've I've never, you know, in in my career heard anybody say that they did not like him or like his work. Well, he's such a sweet man. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, he's so and the British too. accent, yeah. you know, that goes a long <laughs> yeah. way too. Well, he's yeah. just so good at his job. What's uh, your favorite movie he shot? Oh, I don't know. Um, Nineteen Seventeen sticks out. Just it's, it was, yeah. that was one of the only ones I thought about his camera work because it's really? like his whole thing is like, don't look at my camera. Work. Fine, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, now, when I think about it, yeah, but um, that was the only one. The whole time I was watching, wow, how do you do that? How do you do that? Like, there's a few shots in that, which is very rare. I have no idea how he did it. Like, really, I just don't understand. I feel like the Coen brothers lean on him a little bit for some storytelling stuff with camera movement. Yeah. Like going under a bed or down a drain or uh, (laughs) in a bowling ball. For sure. You know? Yeah. 100%. I mean, I don't know. That's stuff fun. You're like, you're always trying to like figure out something you can bring to the story. Um, Yeah. He's one of the greats. Uh, Bradford Young's probably one of my favorites too. What's he? Who's he? I don't know who that is. Bradford Young. He did uh, solo. He did, um, I always have a hard time when it, people will ask me like, what did Roger Deacon shoot? And I'm like, uh, uh, uh I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I'm honestly the same way. I yeah. feel like we shouldn't go down the yeah, path. I can't it's put, just like, <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite movie? Yeah. I couldn't. Like, I, all right. Start listing crew members. And it's like, I, I'm sorry. I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite stuff to shoot? My favorite stuff to shoot. That's hard. Uh, well, one of the reasons I do Atlanta was just like, I want to shoot more narrative work. Yeah. Like, um, I've done commercials. I mean, pretty much my whole life for the most part but i think a lot of people who do commercial they get into this industry because they want to shoot stories and they want to shoot narrative but yeah it's difficult to make a living shooting movies and narrative i mean it's not easy so it seems like there's this this false hierarchy of like if you're really good you can shoot movies and if you're kind of good you can shoot tv shows and if you're not good you can shoot commercials and i don't feel like that's a fair shake it's not true though i don't (laughs) i don't think it's true but it's kind of the it's it's and also tv shows are the new movies so (laughs) agreed yeah do you think the writer's strike caused that i don't know well if you if you remember like before breaking bad when uh and and Really lost, I think, was the first yeah. like golden age I of television. Me too. And it was when the the it, it's when all the 
I feel like everything started to move towards television to where you were seeing a movie every week because that much effort mm-hmm. that you put into making a Coen Brothers movie went into making a single episode of Lost, which yeah. is an hour long that, that lasts for, you know, 23 episodes. And then you you started, you know, seeing the, the Breaking Bads of mm-hmm. the world you know, pop up. And I think when the writer's strike happened, you started to see a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, a lot, and I forget what year that was. It was in the aughts sometime. Could be that. I, I think, too, it's just quantity is the name of the game these days in the industry because it's like um, mm. you want – why tell a story in an hour and a half when you can tell a story in 20 hours and people will actually tune in and watch it? All you have to do is chop it up into bite-sized segments and now you have 20 hours of content and like that story could have been an hour and a half, but now you have so much more to watch because mm-hmm. like people are just looking for more things to watch at all times. It's like – even the form of podcast is the same thing. It's like, why digest a three-minute song when I can listen to a two-hour podcast and my drive is so much better now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because it's it's almost antithetical to the whole um, the whole uh, <clears throat> attention spans shrinking. Yeah, uh, right. Thing. It, it is weird. Yeah, but I don't know. I think that there's never been a better time to be a filmmaker. Is sort of my philosophy behind it because there's so much stuff getting made. It's all quantity. Like it's, I think, I don't know. It's the best time to be a filmmaker because just in the past, it's like you have your big hits, you know, you have big movies and you know, you have your things that real connoisseurs will dive through blockbuster and fine, but it's just like mostly horror. But now with all the streaming services, everyone wants content. Everyone Mm -hmm. wants to buy up content. So if you want to shoot movies, there's never been a better time. But on the flip side of that, budgets have never been lower so it's a game of quantity these days people are trying to fill that attention span at all times whereas before you know could be one great movie and you know everyone goes season goes sees jurassic park and that's your year you know it's like that was a great movie and like that was your year and you don't really like consume that much i can't tell you the last time i've been in a movie theater either that's sad. I know it is. I can tell you it's when frozen two came out and I took my nice. daughter to see it. I mean, the pandemic of course didn't help people yeah. getting into theaters, but I mean, it, I think the quality, uh, especially when high def started 1080p, you started to be able to watch a high definition film mm-hmm. at your house with your popcorn, with your fridge, with your couch, Yeah, you know, you just had to wait three months, Yeah, for you know, sure. and, it, yeah. and, and it was there. And, and I, I think, I don't know. If, if you're anything like me, it, it, it might have uh, uh, not – you didn't have to go to the movie theater to get a high-end experience anymore. Yeah. When you had TV, a 60-inch TV hanging on your wall. Yeah, home systems are great. Yeah. Everyone needs everything. to change their TV settings to turn off the motion settings and, and make the color more neutral so that these hardworking colorists and cinematographers can – you can yeah. actually experience their film. And the refresh rate? Yeah. Do they Are they still doing that stupid refresh rate that made everything look like a soap opera? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they? By default. By default? <laughs> yeah, so nobody turns it off because they don't know any better. Yeah, but. you. well, you, the way they sold it is you would go to Best Buy and they would have the, like – ticker across the bottom like yeah, the espn bottom mm-hmm. line and they would have it split in half to where you could see yep. one half of the screen and it was a little bit blurry but yep. then the other half where it wasn't it was super sharp yep. which was awesome if you're looking at the bottom line but well, if you're watching something narrative it's like this is exactly the opposite of what i'm trying to yeah it's designed to sell at. tvs because yeah. like if you're trying to stand out as a tv here's five tvs this one looks different some yeah. way it's, it's so much like sharper more like three-dimensional and it's like you yeah. don't know why it's like because it makes screensavers look really good but it's like it doesn't make cinema look good (laughs) like i mean 24 frames per second i mean i know that we just kind of landed on that but it became the thing you know it it became the thing that looks 
that looks the most like what our sure. what our eyes see with motion blur yeah. and all that that's really that's really important and that was what i mean that was edison right <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> yeah it was yeah. but but that was like that that was the whole thing and then the and then the uh, uh tv manufacturers get a hold of it trying to make it look more like real trying to make it look hyper real yeah and it kind of ruined the work that we oh, there's were nothing doing that hurts more <laughs> really <laughs> i mean even like in the commercial space like i don't have i haven't had cable and ever I haven't either and, and and like so you know you make commercials and they go on tv i don't have anyone to watch them and like the, the only times i ever see them is like bars when there's like a tv or something yeah. on in the background or whatever and uh, me and my friend uh doug who works on, you should have doug griffey on the podcast i've he's, heard his name before yeah, a lot I don't he's know my hero why. he's the guy really <laughs> yeah, is he? he's awesome yeah yeah he's what, what's he do uh what doesn't he do mm. <laughs> um i think his technical title is like director of production at Lock and Key or something like that. Okay. Um, but he's the man. He directs a lot of the stuff that I cool. shoot and um, is funny. He's just such a techie guy too. Like he'll talk your ear off about anything you want to talk about. Audio, engineering, like video, everything. Um, dude, we'll put him and Sam out here by the fire. Dude. Roll I, cameras on that. Dude, this is, yeah, this is off script, but it's like, Sam, you got to meet Doug. Uh, the other thing, Doug loves Weezer, and we listened to Weezer the whole drive back. <laughs> like, yeah. What'd you and Sam work on together recently? What did we work on? A shoot in like South Carolina or something for Pop Fizz, right? Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. <laughs> there was alcoholic ice cream involved. But. Yeah, but you guys, it was just you two, right? Mm -hmm. Went down there. Yeah, just sitting in a car for. <laughs> did you know Sam before that? Mm -hmm. You guys have met yeah, before, yeah, yeah. dude. If you've got like one guy, you got Sam. And Mike Deering, those are the two guys I'm taking. If you got, if you could only pick one dude, guy, I've never, one. I've never met Mike. Every, oh, everyone says he's the man. So. Oh, he is the man. <laughs> he's he's fantastic. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, him. he's like Sam. He comes from an audio background, so he's read every manual for everything yeah. he's ever worked with, and he knows everything about everything yeah. inside and out. <laughs> You're like, dude, stop being awesome at everything. You're making me look <laughs> dumb over yeah. here. Could make me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> make me look awful. Love it, dude. All right. So, uh, anything coming up down in the uh, ATL that that uh, you're excited about, or is it just pretty much kind of home base still? Um, nothing really coming up there. I would love to do another feature this year if I could. Um, but would you sell your soul to Tyler Perry? I would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This soul's not that expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I mean, it's one of those things. The Tyler Perry circuit. I know a lot of those guys like. They're lifelongers for sure. Like, you make careers in Tyler Perry Studios, you know, just shooting stuff for life. Um, there's a lot of work to be had there. Um, I'm I'm just trying to get any work I can, to be honest with you. I, I really want to do more narrative for sure, but I also love making commercials at the same time. They tickle different parts of your brain for sure. Commercials do? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I They're less interesting, but they have their own challenges mm. for sure. Um, but... Narrative sort of the holy grail for sure. Like, I would love to do more narrative work. Um, but the hard thing about narrative work that uh, you don't really think about, and that I've experienced since moving there, it's like I I've really been enjoying freelancing because you know you're kind of just one with the wind. You do like ten different jobs in a month, and it's, yeah. it's super interesting. You get to you know go like I went to Texas and shot something for windmills for a week. And the next day I was in South Carolina shooting something for Oprah. And then the next day I drove to Knoxville and shot something with y'all. It's just yeah. like, it, it just takes you everywhere and it's super fascinating. But then like with narrative, it's like you can get a call and then like, Hey man, 
next week we're starting a project and you'll be working here for six months. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, okay, is this what I want to do for this year? That's my whole year. Pretty yeah. much. Like, How many fratter days have you worked? How many fratter days have I worked? Yeah. None. None? <laughs> yeah. Those are kind of a phenomenon, right? Like, <laughs> what's the most you can shoot in, in in the union in a day? Like sixteen or eighteen hours or something like that. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know all the rules. Again, I'm like the worst person. Well, so the to way it works, unions. right? With with the whole Friday thing is like Monday. Your call time is six a.m. Yeah, and then you you work. At, they work as they work you as long as they can without getting into union penalties, mm-hmm. yeah. which is like 16 or 18 hours. I forget what it is, but then the union requires that they do turn time. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to go be able to go home and sleep for eight hours. For so, sure. so yeah. call, so rap and call has to be like eight hours apart. For sure. So by the end which of the a great week, rule, by the way, right. <laughs> Except if you're working on a feature by the end of the week, your call time on Friday, because it's been pushed back yeah. by so many days, your yeah. call time's like 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. on a Friday. Yeah. And then you wrap at like noon on Saturday. And then you have Sunday to yeah. go home and sleep all day and yeah. then hit a 6 a.m. call time yeah. on Monday and then morning. They also have a thing, I think, I don't know all the rules of all this, but yeah, I think there's a thing too where like you're supposed to work like six days a week or something. But then you can like push a day to the next week and then get reprieve or something. Yeah. So like there's like a whole like system of all of that. Yeah. But and they've all got it figured out. My, my favorite thing about any union job is the fact I just don't think about it. <laughs> it's just like they have it all figured out. It's all part of the that's process. A good, that's and I a just good show up and it. do my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good part about it. And you know, you're going to get treated fairly and fed fairly and not, for know, sure, not work too hard. And you're working around the best of the best too. 100%. Which is really, I mean, that's kind of like, that's always been my thing with like everything in life. It's like everything I do, I want to be the best at it. That's great. Which is a problem. No, it's not. That's great. Um, but yeah, I, it just felt like the only way to like progress my career was like the best people in the world. They are all shooting movies, like you yeah. said. And it's like, I want to learn from those people. Yeah. Like that's the people I want to work with. Yeah. So does Atlanta have this stigma with the LA people of being yeah. like, does it? <laughs> yeah, of it being does. like, you don't know what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, there's stigmas both ways. Cause there's, you know, it, Atlanta is probably the most booming production city in the world right now as far as like, the come up sort of aspect yeah. of it. Um, not to mention, I think COVID has sped up the move out of LA. Like my philosophy long-term sure. is like, or my like thought process is like, eventually work, everyone will be able to do this job in any city that you, I mean, you can do this job in any city. Like yeah. it doesn't really matter where right. you live, but the like anyone will be able to do it at a high level yeah. in any city that they want. Um, and I think COVID sped that up a little bit just from the standpoint of like working from home and like everyone's moving out of LA because they can't afford it. And like, there's a big move to Texas. There's a big move to Atlanta. There's a big move to all these other cities. And I think that'll happen again, but then on a smaller scale of just like, all right, now everyone's moving out of Atlanta to, you know, Chattanooga or, you know, wherever. And like, now that's a production hub and, you know, it'll only get bigger and crazier as it goes. I think everybody's going to move from Austin to Nashville. That's my, that's my thought process. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) Austin's going to get too big. It's been headed that way for a long time. But then Nashville's the same way. And then it's like, then where all Nashville people go. So it's like, it'll only keep like splintering off, I think. Yeah. Um, Because again, quantity, like, it's just going to be like, we still need stuff made. And it's like, we don't want to spend LA money. Let's spend Atlanta money. Okay. We don't want to spend Atlanta money. Let's spend Nashville money. And it's like. It'll just keep splintering and splintering. I remember reading this quote from someone uh, from an L.A. DP or something like that. I forget who it was, but it was right after Atlanta had started the boom, probably five years into the, the, the whole tax incentive boom that went down there, went on down there. And it was right after the Sarah Jones thing happened, which was super tragic. Yeah. When um, 
when she, you know, when she died on a film yeah. set because of negligence, right? 100%, yeah. And um, the the person was quoted as like, well, that's what happens when you have a bunch of people who think that they know what they're doing in this city, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, that, that aren't really pros. Are you a local or a professional? Yeah. You know, and, and they, they thought that if you were, for, you know, if you were working in Atlanta, you had to be second rate. Yeah. And um, I wonder if that's, ha- if that's changed in the past, you know, six or eight years, because like you said, there has been this great migration of, of people who have moved from, from the West coast, from LA mm-hmm. to Atlanta, because there's a ton of work there yeah. and LA is a hard place to find work. Mm-hmm. It's a very tough place to live. Yeah. It's super expensive. Mm-hmm. Then COVID happens. You live in, you live in LA because it's a great place to live everything that it offers. Yeah. But now that's all taken away from you because everything's closed and everything sucks and the yeah. homeless thing is out of control. <laughs> Let me move to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you, now you're going to have this influx of, yeah, a, seasoned people moving to Atlanta, but, you know, be to your point, does it just, does it just, you know, make the demands uh, so much or the supply so much greater than the demand uh, from a, from a, uh, from a workforce standpoint in Atlanta? Are you seeing like, like the work getting choked out at all? Like too many technicians to do the work? You'll hear both sides of it for sure. Like, I mean, Hey, there's a mouse. No way. Sam, there's a mouse right under you. Are you kidding me? Right there. Dude, I have not seen a mouse in here in a year and a half. Yeah, he just ran into that corner. He was right under your feet. No way. And he ran right against the wall into that corner there. Dude, we had a mouse problem like a year and a half ago, and we worked it out. Yeah, he's just a little guy. I mean, oh, he's not like a rat. Man. He's just like a little tiny guy. <laughs> oh, man. The exterminator's going to hear about this Sorry one. that caught my eye. But... <laughs> Dude, you're remember, gonna put this in the podcast. We're like, man, this place is infested with rats. I, was, <laughs> like, <it's> just, <laughs> I remember I was uh, it, interviewing Chris Blue, and he was like the, you know, kind of the, you know, he just it wasn't recent that he'd won the voice, but he was kind of like the most well known person that I've had in the shop. Yeah, and I and you know I was on my best behavior, having a good conversation <laughs> yeah. with Chris Blue, who's an awesome dude, good Christian man. You know, clean the place up real nice, and I see this mouse run run behind him. I'm like, oh no, dude, this is the worst. This is the the, the most high profile person you put together here. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> like, I thought I was coming into professional environment. Yeah, my car is like... still running out there. I'm gonna go hop in and get homeboy to take me home. Oh, that's funny. First one I've seen <laughs> right. in a while. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna get back on it. No, it's just all, it's all but, good. Um, so Atlanta, uh, I don't know. You'll hear you'll hear both opinions as far as like there there's definitely like some stout people in Atlanta that are just like they hate people who are from out of town, they hate LA people, they hate all that, and they're just like really? you know, we're full. That's sort of the the quote really? Atlanta is we're full. Which uh, is extends past the film industry too. I mean, people who aren't yeah. filmers say, Hey, we're full, like stop moving to Atlanta. It's like Denver after they legalized weed, like it got so there was such a boom and everybody moved out there and you got that mentality mm-hmm. before where where everybody's like, Oh, come to Colorado, the greatest state in the world and then it's like, Whoa, hold yeah, on, yeah, please we're stop. Full. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please stop doing this. You're making it awful for yep. the rest of us who have lived here forever. Uh huh. One hundred percent. So yeah, you'll get people who like we're full please stay away did you find any any like weirdness when you moved down there of people being cagey or standoffish because you were the new guy yeah for sure 100 really? yeah i mean it's i'm still in it now i mean i've only lived there for a year so it's like um yeah i mean all the time it's really hard to find work there and then even still it's like to keep busy i i 
if if I were to only work in Atlanta right now, like I wouldn't be able to make ends meet for sure. Well, so it sounds like you're you're then you know not necessarily shifting all of your expectations for work to one city, but rather growing mm-hmm. what you already had. Yeah, and you're just located somewhere else. It's just addition. Yeah, that's, you're in Knoxville that's, right now working. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I'll, it's, I'll work anywhere. Yeah, hey, I'll work anywhere. Yeah. No, <laughs> but it's not like that changed, right? Like that, like you just are growing your portfolio of clients and and your yeah. for sure. That's how I see it. It's just. It, it's not, nothing has been taken away. There's no like quitting anything. And it's like, the thing is too, it's like, I still work with the log and key people as much as I possibly can. Those are my Good. best friends. Like that's yeah. my family. So it's like, but you were like the first non-founder to work there, yeah, weren't you? 100. I was there for nine years. <laughs> God, dude, that's crazy. How did you go about sharp, keeping sharp and learning new stuff while you were working in an environment with the same people? It's hard. It's is hard. It? Yeah, for sure. Um, Cause yeah, a lot of it falls on you to just learn it yourself. Like yeah. But you, you've got a nine to five job who wants to go home and research, you know, me. cinema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. Again, I, I, I don't want to do anything unless I'm the best at it. So yeah, yeah if I'm going to be shooting things, I'm going to learn everything I possibly can about shooting things. Yeah. And it's like, well, if I'm going to shoot it and then someone else is going to edit and they're making it look bad, it's like, well, now I have to learn everything there is about editing. And it's like, Did well, now the that? audio is bad. So it's like, I got to learn everything I can about audio. And it's mm. like, it spirals out of control. And that's why I know what I know. Really? <laughs> yes, yeah. So, so did you go and, and, and take yeah. How did you bring, like, I guess my question, how did you bring in new things when you're seeing the same thing all the time? So did you go and, uh, you know, watch, watch YouTube videos about what other people were doing. Did sure. you talk yeah. to other people in the industry who were doing stuff? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that, that was part of why I moved to Atlanta though, because it was like, it, it's much easier to learn from people who know more than you, if you can be on set with people who know more than you. But then at the same time, it's like a it, lock and key, like big opportunities came when you, when you could hire people who knew more than you. Like, mm-hmm. for example, like, like Chris Durfee, I know you had on and it's yeah. like, you know, if you can get him to gaff your set, it's like, that's the best, you know, because you can learn from him. Yeah. Um, but it, at the same time, yeah, I mean, a lot of it just falls on you to figure it out for yourself. So a lot of like my history of learning, it was just figuring it out, which comes from just making a lot of really bad things. <laughs> Mostly you just make really terrible things. And so if you make enough bad things, eventually you'll make something that looks good. And then once you make something that looks good, you're like, well, why did this look good? And then all those other things look bad. And then you figure that out and then, you know, stepping stones basically <laughs> incremental process or yeah, incremental improvement it's a marathon yeah i mean that's what i tell people it's not a sprint you don't i mean a lot of people want to come in and just you know uh, there's some interview or something that i was watching and it was like a lot of people like want to come into the industry and it's like okay i want to like direct like the new transformers or whatever for example and it's like cool that's a great goal but it's like you're not going to do that now because mm-hmm. you haven't made 500 terrible projects yet you have to make all those terrible projects because like if that project were to fall in your lap this is sort of like i don't again i don't remember the interview but like if that project were to fall in your lap like you wouldn't know to do with it even if you got it right you don't have the experience of like failure to like you know make something like that yeah uh, it's it's interesting because you look at like mm, like ron howard mm-hmm. one of the greatest directors of our of our era when it comes to money making movies yeah. and working on you know oh he's the best big big films <laughs> yeah. right he directed a lot of shit uh, everyone does yeah <laughs> and, and and he's well connected i mean yeah. he, i mean he's opie taylor man like he was in yeah. hollywood in the business from a very young age and he still had to go make a bunch of 
B, C, D list, terrible movies with no budget. You have to. Yeah. I, I think that's Apollo the only 13. way. I mean, next time you watch a good movie, go on to IMDb. Look at like the last thing that those filmmakers made. Not just the director. Look at the DP. Look at the sound guy. Look at everyone. Yeah. Look at what they did. Like, look at maybe look at the last film if it was good. Like, keep going down. Look at the first things they made. It's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was all narrative too, mostly yeah. for, for for in in a big case. So even, yeah. you know, even just, just getting, dipping your toe into the narrative world, yeah. you know, is 100%. It's a big difference because like, and you got to be able, you've got to be willing to do, do a terrible one yeah, to 100%. start with, just to get you in the door. I shot two terrible movies this year. <laughs> I bet they weren't <laughs> terrible. No, they were, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> but yeah. it's experience. I mean, you, you learn how it goes and it's like, I'm ready for the next terrible movie. I mean, you, you make enough of them. You start to pick up little things that you don't like about it and yeah. you learn what not to do and what to do. And you take that knowledge. And then when you get the opportunity to step up to the plate, you, you now have seen what you don't like and, or what you do like, and now you can make your film. Is that the advice you'd give somebody who was starting out? What 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 is the one piece of advice? The most important thing that you think? <laughs> most important. There's so many things. I I, I was on going pod- for like another three hours. Well, <laughs> no, I mean if you have if you need one thing that'll get you in the door, what is it? I don't know. Uh, I mean, okay, like for example, like right now I'm working with, I, I'm shooting a student film coming up soon because it's like it's like a thing I'm like, I'm not getting paid for. Like I'm shooting a student film with a guy who's a senior in college and where at Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Um, he's the younger brother of uh, Nick. Let's go. He should also have them podcast. He okay. lives in Chattanooga, but um, he's an incredible person. Um, incredibly talented. His little brother um, is he, he wants to make a living doing film. He wants to be a writer and a director, which like, you know, you hear that and you're like, okay, well that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. sucks. Sorry. You want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I I've had him out on a couple of sets just to like try to help and teach and stuff like that. And he's always been a really pleasant person to have around. And he was like, Oh, I have so many scripts and ideas and stuff. I'm cool. Let me shoot him. And he's like, what? <laughs> so, I, bet. I bet. I bet he is jazzed up, man, that he's, he's got, that he's got you, somebody who's established and his, and it works in the industry. And he's, he's probably over the moon to have like the, a real legit DP come shoot a student. Yeah, film, I don't know about all that, but he he's is. always jazzed up. <laughs> but, um, if you were in his position, you'd be pumped for sure. I think people like that just need more opportunities to like, um, get the experience. I mean, cause a lot of it's just, you know, getting the chance to yeah. do something like that. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go a little, a little further. I think, I think to, to me, uh, one of the most important things is knowing what you want to do and being able to tell people what that is so they can help you. Yeah. 100%. You know? Yeah. A- and then you, you obviously want to help this kid. Yeah. 100%. Right. Yeah. But it's because he's not like, Oh, I, I want to be the next Martin Scorsese, you know, yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, he's like, I want to be a writer and a director. And he is obviously pleasant to be around, yeah. you know? And he, um, lo- he loves horror films. He wants to make horror films. And I'm like, really? that's a great genre to pick because it's easy to sell horror films. <laughs> it is. It's easy to sell them. They're cheap <laughs> well, to make. Usually. I don't say easy, but you know, like as far as genre films, like that's a good route, but it's like they need distribution. Everybody's looking for a new horror film. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But it's like wanting to help him. Um, sorry. I lost my train of thought. What made you want to help him? He's a great kid. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I do love, teaching people the ins and outs of, of what we do as much as I can. I don't, I don't consider myself someone in the position to have a whole lot of advice. So every advice that I give is just like, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but this is just my experience with <laughs> yeah. this. Um, but 
you know, it's it's fun to do stuff like that. I'm doing with Matt Honkinen. He's going to do uh, sound and audio for it and stuff too. So, awesome. Yeah. And because that was the thing too. When I got with him, I was like, I'm not going to shoot anything that I'm not happy with. So <laughs> if we're going to do this, we're going to make it look good. <laughs> That's the only way I'll do it. Dude, this podcast is quickly becoming, uh, not this one, the, the, the whole South of Scruffy ecosystem is becoming uh, six degrees from Matt Honkinen. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Matt's <laughs> the man. Yeah. He's, uh, he's got his hands in everything, but yeah, he, uh, he's doing uh, sound on it. Yeah, I, I didn't want to do it unless he did sound design because it's like if you're making horror, it's like. So he's doing post sound on it. Yeah, post sound. He's doing like the soundtrack. So he'll he'll come and do on set audio, hopefully too. He will. Fingers crossed. Come on, Matt. Yeah, come, come on, do me. it. <laughs> like, but uh, no, it's like I don't want to do it unless he's doing post sound design because like he's gonna make it sound incredible. Like he did a project with uh, us recently with his brother Gremlins Three, the film. <laughs> really? Yeah, and uh, he uh, he made it sound incredible, and it's like I don't want to do this if it's not going to be good and in order for it to be good the sound has to be good um you can't have good video bad sound everyone knows that <laughs> it, yeah it's it's funny do you, do you know scott minor no do you remember him he was around for like he was here forever uh doing location audio and post sound on stuff yeah I don't know. and he used to have this uh this parlor trick where he would show you this this video and you're like oh that you know that looks it's like, it's like some narrative scene in somebody's kitchen or something like that and it and you watch it and it plays out and it's like, okay, that was, that was all right. That was like, it looks like, you know, kind of a documentary home film, home, you know, type thing. And then like a, a few minutes later, he'd show you, be like, what do you think of this? And he'd show it to you and you'd watch it and be like, that was pretty badass. He's like, that's the same pictures. It was just a different, it was different sound design on it. People don't realize how, how big of a, how big of a deal. It's everything. It's, I mean. it, it, people will not forgive bad sound. 100%. If I had this fan on over here, people, you know, would not <laughs> listen to the podcast. Be we would love it. Everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. It takes everybody to make pretty mm-hmm. pictures and, and pleasing things to the ears. And again, like to what we talked about earlier, just let them forget that they're watching something. Yeah, exactly. Let them 100%, be in it. Like we don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> That's day one of film school. Yeah. Suspension sure. of disbelief. I'm trying to think about where I was going with why I brought up Jacob. What advice would you give? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Is that he it? He pushes it in. This is the part where we edit this in and he. <laughs> so what was, what yeah. advice would you give? With Jacob, like the kid that I'm doing this horror short film with, it, the, the thing that I've been talking to him about a lot is like, so if you're looking to be, okay, so you're making films for a living. That's what most people want to do. Mm-hmm. Everyone starts off like, I want to make a film. I want to make a yeah. film. I want to make a film. Like everyone does. A lot of people in commercial want to do that too. But it's like, how do you do it? And I think a lot of people put their eggs in one basket. And what they try to do is like, well, if I just can make one, like, you know, kill a short film, everything will be great. And then they make that short film and nothing happens. And it goes to their little local film festival. It's like, that's great. Good job. You won the local film festival or whatever. And you did a good job. And um, but then that's it. And then they get like frustrated. They didn't make any money. They didn't get another film. They didn't do anything. And then they quit. And then that's the end of it. But like, if you're trying to make a living doing that, what you do is you make 20 short films and every single one of them is good. You Mm -hmm. make a library of content. You need to show people that you, you can create this thing that you're wanting to create. You have a voice and not only can you do it once, not only can you do it twice, but it's repeatable every single time. And And when people want to spend money, they look at you and say, this, this kid has a track record of success. 
and we really like his voice and we think that he would be perfect to make more money for us. <laughs> but it's like you don't do that by making one thing. And I think what happens is is younger people, they make like a couple things and then they get frustrated. Like, oh, this if only like, you know, Michael Bay would call me, then everything would be fine. But it's like, <laughs> no, you have to. Again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's just like you've got to make like a thousand crappy things like and then. Like you can't make anything good until you make a whole bunch of bad things. Agreed. Like you have to keep making all of those bad things. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the concept of like you just have to make bad things to make good things or it's just – but I think a lot of it is just like you have to show a library of things that you can make. And and those things these days shouldn't be tied to like budgets or like too many young kids, they wait for people to call them like, oh, they're going to call me to shoot a commercial. They're going to call me to shoot a thing. Why is no one hiring me? Why is no one hiring me? And it's like – that's not how you do it. Like, if no one's hiring you, excuse me, go out and shoot it yourself. So you're saying what you have. Like, make something even if nobody's asking for it. 100%. We're shooting this on iPhones, GoPros. Yeah. Everyone has a phone. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying you're going to make the best thing in the world with this, but you'll make something and you'll have a voice and you'll be able to make it. And it's like, you might not have a light. doesn't matter. Like, do your thing. Make something. And it's like, then after that, make another thing. And then make another thing. And then make another thing. And make sure they're all good. Try your best to make them all good yeah. uh, within, you know, you're always working with limitations, but yeah. the thing the audience doesn't know what limitations you're working against, which is always hard, but um, it, it's a game of quantity a little bit. Same with music. I'm sure Sam is a test to it. Like, it's just like when you make an album too, you don't make, we were talking about in the car, you don't make nine songs and then you just release it. You make a hundred songs and then you pick your best nine, then you release that. And then that album doesn't go well. And then you write 200 more and then you pick the best. 12 songs from that, you release that album, and then that album does, you know? It's like, you have to go through the process of creation. Like, the people who go far in this industry are the people who are, like, fascinated with the process of making stuff. I mean, Mm. that's the most important thing. Mm. Because, like, too many people are looking at the end result. The end result, I want this end result, I want this end result. Which is great. And, you know, I can, you know, people can help tell you the path to get to that. But it's like, if you're not enjoying the climb, if you're not enjoying the climb to that end result, like, you're not going to make it far. Because the whole, the whole job is the climb to that end result. Like that's what you're doing. Is that makes really good sense to to enjoy enjoy the process? Because, you know, like we've talked about, the days are hard. The days are long. It's yeah. all different. You never know what to expect. It's yeah. always kind of. It can be stressful if you don't if you don't know what's going to happen around the next corner. So to enjoy that, to be able to lean into that and that be the part of it that you enjoy. You have to. And the you craft mean, also. You're, you're going to burn out. You're going to quit if you don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool to say that you've done something that was like popular or that got a lot of views or whatever, but like that doesn't, you can't make a lifelong career out of that. Like yeah. you make a lifelong career out of making things over and over and over time again. Mm. So it's like, if you can enjoy the process and, and engulf yourself in the process of making things, then it's like, you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Haven't you done a bunch of, um, a bunch of like live music work mm-hmm. with lock and key when you guys were there, didn't that come, become kind of the bread and butter for a little while? Yeah. 100%. I, I feel like that was like sort of what built us. I mean, cause it's like back to my story earlier. I remember I was telling a story earlier that we didn't come back around to, but like I was shooting music stuff in college just like on my own because it was back then. It's like I bought a camera and I started shooting music stuff and I said, I want to shoot music stuff. And then I met up with Andy and Eli and they were shooting music stuff and they love shooting music stuff. Mm. And so we connected on that level of like, we both love music and like, we both love like live music and we both love video. And it's like, let's shoot more of this. <laughs> like, And then I think the, the first like 
don't know if it was the first bigger job, but the first music festival we did was like Forecastle Music Festival in Louisville. And um, we we took those sessions and then we shot those there and we did uh, Howlmouth, Deer Tick, and I don't remember who all else, but we did a bunch of bands and we shot live sessions with them, but then we also did coverage of the festival as well and shot, you know, different B-roll for that. But it's like from then on, we just started shooting music festivals and stuff and like together i mean like all of us we've shot so many music festivals over the years and um that became like the bread and butter which is funny because like that stuff doesn't like that doesn't keep a business running necessarily music festivals are fun but it's like but the thing is like even commercial clients you know come in and they're like you know i want to shoot commercial like that's a, those people who should shoot Bonnaroo or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, it's a fun talking point. It becomes a cachet thing. At oh, some 100%. Point. Which like, I mean, falls back on to like make stuff that you think is cool. Yeah. That's a great yeah. piece of advice exactly. too, because like if you're making something that you find entertaining, someone might want to work with you just because they like what you were doing before. Even sure. if that you lost money on that, it doesn't yeah. really matter. Cause like, you know, I shot, the, oh, I shot this fun, like comedy piece and it, it's dumb and never made money, but someone might see that and be like, Oh, this person's really funny. Or like, I really <laughs> like their style. And it's like, yeah. I, I want to have them around to shoot this other yeah. thing. and So over the years, when was your first Bonnaroo? When was the first one that you guys shot? Or when was the first Forecastle that you guys shot? First Forecastle? I don't even remember. 14 or 13, okay. something like that. And that was the first? Maybe 12. No, I was still in college. Really? I was still in college. So that would have been 2011 or 2012. Okay, so that was the first, that was the first foray into music festival work? Yeah. And then you guys how many i was i was in my i remember yeah because i yeah sorry i don't remember all this but when you're saying i'm like starting to like connect all That's the good. all the synapses are firing off but uh <laughs> yeah no i was living in uh cory trail was like a student living complex and yeah i remember we andy felu was editing the uh cuts of like we did like day recaps day one day two day three and it would be like b-roll over oh, music of just this. like yeah. cool stuff and like he had three days to do or i don't remember how it all came up so i'm probably telling the story wrong but I, 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 all I remember was I was editing day two and I was editing one of them. And I remember he sent me the day one cut. And at the time, like I was still, we didn't know each other super well. And he said, I'm like, oh man, he's going to send me this. Like, and he sent me this thing. I was like, oh, there's no way I can like edit something this good. Like whatever he's doing is like way better than whatever I'm going to deliver. And I was like, so nervous to like edit that day just because yeah. like Andy Felly was editing the other two. And I was like, Oh man, there's no way I can do something this good. And, and yeah, sure enough, I had delivered day two and he did one and three and, um, it held we, up. We just, I, I guess, I don't know. They kept, they kept having me around. That's so. good to have that little bit of chip on your shoulder though, too, <laughs> to make you work a little bit harder to, to, oh, for to sure. know that's a boss man. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I never want to experience that again where I'm like, I don't know if I can make something this good. So, and then from then on, I was just obsessed with making things look better and better and better and better. So, so 10 years at Bonnaroo probably, or, or something like that. Nine that you were there or. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well. I mean, I went a few years for fun, but yeah, I've yeah. worked a lot of Bonnaroo's. Um, What's it like to work the festival? Because I've <laughs> I've only I've actually worked there once, but it was not in a film capacity. It was with someone who created an art installation. Yeah. Um, but what's hard. it like? It's <laughs> I'll start with hard. hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, first word hard. Second word fun. I guess that's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, long days. Long days. It's just yeah. It's a difficult environment to work in, but like. For example, like, you know, this year they're doing Bonnaroo and it's like, you know, there's there's so much staff involved and it's, it's like I'm trying to think of like who would be a good person to like help us out. And it's like the right person is, you know, someone who 
who is engulfed in that stuff, who loves music, who wants to be a part of that process yeah. and wants to be a part of that community. Like yeah. the right person, you know, it, it's not an easy job. And again, if you don't love the process of doing that, you're, you're going to have a hard time doing it. So you're doing it this year? Hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, uh, get the call. Which again, but like when I worked there, um, we did so many music festivals back to back to back to back. And, and then I would come back and edit them and stuff. So I got pretty burnt out on it. Yeah. It's I, gotta I be, so. it's, it's, it's a young man's game. It sounds like it yeah. is, you know, and after you do so much, you know, they all start to feel the same and then you don't mm. feel inspired and yeah. you don't feel, you don't feel anything toward it after yeah. a certain point. Cause you know, this festival looks like this festival, this festival has all the exact same bands as the last one we were at. And, mm. and you know, we're going to do these long days and then we're going to go home and edit them all night. And it's like, I for sure got burned out on them, and and I stopped doing them personally. Andy Vincent's actually the I think he's the director of festivals at Lock and Key, yeah. so he he's he's the person to talk to about that because like he loves that stuff, which like I've always respected him for because it's like I always had a hard time. I was like, man, this is hard, dude. He's like, no, I love it, and he's he's super into it. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going to you know, going to the festival is hard. Mm -hmm. Put a camera on your shoulder. And a backpack full of batteries. Yeah. You know, it's got to be even harder. Oh, you know, for sure. It, it, filming something, adding production to it adds a huge yeah. degree of <laughs> oh, difficulty yeah, for sure. to but it. But then at the same time, you get really cool experiences. So there's that too. Like, what are some of those? Like, what's the, what's the, like the, the moment, did you have a moment in the, however many years that you shot festivals that you were like, man, I cannot believe like a, I've either got this access or B I'm watching this yeah. happen and, and, and C I'm getting it on my camera. Like, this is amazing. This is for unreal. sure. Yeah. I mean, you definitely geek out over certain things. Um, I don't know if I have like a big story or anything, but one like just specific image that sits in mind. It's not really like a story as much as it's like, I'll just never forget like in my head visually that image of like seeing like um, is when we worked the hay bale sessions. So, you know, there's a new, we did live sessions with these artists and there's a new artist coming in every hour and recording, you know, session. Was it like in a, a trailer or something? It's in a trailer. Yeah. yeah. It's called the hay bale sessions because it's a trailer it's like a tiny and it's desk. surrounded by hay bales yeah. because it's right behind the main stage. So like, the hay bales absorb all of the the sound coming in, so that's why it's called Hay Bale Studio. Um, put the audio engineer uh, Lige um, from Nashville. He's he's incredible. Sammy, you can talk to him. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just keep saying other people you should talk to who aren't me. That <laughs> uh, they sound incredible. But um, anyways, we were, it was a, one of the years we were doing that, which that was my favorite way to experience the festival. I'll be honest, because like walking around the hot sun sucks, but. When you're just in one room shooting band after band after band, it's like, sure. that's a blast. Yeah. Um, I would do that every year if I could. Um, but we were in that. We were shooting Jason Isabel, I want to say. And um, I don't know her name. Amanda Shires, maybe. But we are shooting Jason Isabel. And, like, um, we had a short window in between, like, sets. It's like 10 minutes and, like, the next band comes in or something like that. Yeah. And um, I saw Wu-Tang Clan was playing on the stage really close to where we are on which stage. And I just, Wu-Tang Clan's super inspirational to me. So I just like, I really want to just for five minutes go put my eyes on Wu-Tang Clan and then come back. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to go put my eyes on Wu-Tang Clan and come back. Yeah. And so I was like, hey guys, I'll be back. And then I like ran out and uh, I go. And the other nice thing about it is you have, you know, sort of all access pass for the most part in so I go backstage and I just hop up backstage on Wu-Tang Clan and Jason Isabel and uh, I want to say her name's Amanda Shires. I, I, I don't remember. I don't know her particularly, but they were right in front of me 
And like they were also watching Wu Tang backstage, <laughs> and she was just throwing up the, the the W, and I was like, "This is so bizarre!" Like I, this makes no sense. Like, and we're backstage, and Inspector Deck turns around, he's like, "Yeah," you know, <laughs> and it's just like this is weird. And then I like sit there for like one song, and literally run straight back to work. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool man the access that that working there yeah it's not a great story it's just like an image that sits in my head no it is man (laughs) you wouldn't think that jason isbel would be jamming out to some wu-tang i know it's so weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just doesn't make any sense i guess it's the fun thing about bonnaroo is yeah all those artists are like commingling together and bonnaroo always feels so epic Mm -hmm. like i don't know why i went and saw billy strings on the farm last weekend yeah and uh it dude it's like, I don't know what it is, if that place is just magic or if you feel like you're witnessing something for the first time and the only time it'll ever happen. There's something really special about it that I've never that I've never noticed because I've never gone there outside of a, you know, Bonnaroo four day yeah. weekend. Yeah. But I, but that it's still there was the magic was there. It's, it's a the weird vibe. place. Yeah. I mean, Bonnaroo, <laughs> like it's it, it's crazy. Um, it, the other thing, too, like from the backstage standpoint, it's like all these artists are like all these famous people are together like in one place and like different people do it differently. Some people, you know, drive in to the set and leave. And then some yeah. people like are really into it and they stay and like, they're like, you know, I don't know if Jason Isabel is hanging out, but it's like, they want to go see other sets. And yeah. it's just like these other famous people want to see other famous people. And yeah. it's like, they geek out over it too. And it's like, I think when Hannibal Burris was there, he was like going to like different sets and just geeking out and hanging out backstage. And it's just, they yeah, just enjoy it. That's that's a pretty cool thing you got to think about too. And I've heard other artists who've who've played there have said the same thing. It's like, you know, there's there's two ways to do it as an artist. One you mentioned, fly in, fly out. You yeah. know, it's just a stop. You're playing somewhere else the next yeah, night. Sure. Or you know, this is your one opportunity to see you know Kanye yeah. West and the Flaming Lips yeah, right. and the, <laughs> Paul McCartney and Elton yeah. John or whatever, all in the same play. You, yeah. You got all access passes and you it's, stay as long as you want and no problem. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think just think that's a funny environment in general. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, it, it is, but it's a, it's a super magic place. And I, and, uh, I'm glad they're getting back to it this year. Cause I guess they had to miss last year, didn't they? Yeah. And then all I together this year it's in September or whatever, which I'm kind of stoked for. Cause it yeah, will be, be less nice. hot. Hopefully yeah. <laughs> could be raining. Yeah, it could be. Place is a mess when it rains, man. (laughs) You shut up. It's going to be just a mud bit. Oh, man, it's the grossest place in the world. Yeah, if it's raining and you have a camera on your shoulder, that's the worst. (laughs) It does tamp the dust down. You want a little bit of rain just to kind of get all the dust down. You don't want a three-week drought coming into Bonnaroo. That's the perfect mix is a little bit of rain right before you go, but not too much because it'll get money. But, yeah, it's kind of bad both ways because, like, if it rains, it's mud. If it doesn't, it's dust. Yeah. Everybody's braving the elements. For sure. 100%. Dude, what else we got? We miss anything? Probably a lot of stuff. (sighs) Yeah, I'm sure. We can do this again. Do it again sometime. We should. I feel like there's so many things that I didn't talk about, but. Well, anything you got in mind? You come talk about anything? No, nothing in mind. That's what I said. Should have taken notes. Should have had a little notebook. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, dude. Soon, man. Next Um, next time you're in town, maybe we'll get back on the mics. People, come on. For sure. For when it comes to Bonnaroo, talk to Andy Vincent for sure. Okay. One hundred percent. Okay. Um, he's he'll talk your ear off about it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, he'll love meeting Bonnie, my dog. <laughs> yeah. Dude, thanks a lot for doing it. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, man. Thanks thank for interrupting you. I your, your disc golf game to come do it. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Sorry, I, I crammed it into my tight schedule of disc golf <laughs> rounds. So you know, 
I'm actually about to go play now at night. You know, it's, <laughs> it's real serious. Glow in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, thanks again. Yeah, man. Take Thank care. you. Appreciate it. All right. How was it? How'd we do? Thank you all for being here. Appreciate it a lot. Take care of each other. Check out our Patreon. We're out there. We're here for you. Take care. Talk to you soon. Pitch wire. Play me out. <laughs> <laughs>